Welcome into the Email Online Podcast. Mason Voth, Alec Bussey here with you. I am uh, from my home office in Wichita, Alec in a much more luxurious spot. He is in New York City somewhere. He has survived a couple of days out there on his own. Big man in the big city. Uh, he's handling it well, although he did call me last night and said, hey, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not write anything for like the next hour. I need to get home. It's getting late out here, and I'm trying to avoid taking public transportation. Probably a pretty smart move on his part. So uh, the street smarts are paying off for your boy, and uh, things are working out, and so far so good uh, from the games you got to see. Back-to-back incredible ones for Alec being at the uh, K-State-Kentucky and K-State-Michigan State game. We won't dwell on it too long because Gabe and I went in-depth last night for about an hour uh, after uh, the game ended over on the email online YouTube. Gabe and I will be back and doing that on Saturday as well after the K-State game with Florida Atlantic, win or lose. So uh, be sure to uh, be locked in over on the YouTube page. Uh, but just a, real quick, some general thoughts on last night's game and what it was like to be in Madison Square Garden for that game and that performance on both sides. Certainly incredible, right? One of the best NCAA tournament games that I've ever had a chance to witness in person. And then I think even one of the best NCAA tournament games that people are kind of talking about maybe ever, or at least in the last decade. And people have started to talk about where Marquise Noel's performance ranks obviously goes for over 20 points and has an NCAA tournament record, 19 assists and a win. And of course, overtime helps him a little bit there with the assist numbers and helping um, to break that record. But that's not to take anything away from the way that Marquise played last night in the win for K-State. And um, certainly great to be able to have that be my first experience in Madison Square Garden. I think it's funny. Everyone kind of you know, talks about magical things happen in Madison Square Garden. And as someone who doesn't follow the NBA super closely or doesn't pay a ton of attention to what the New York Knicks are doing um, or what the Knicks opponents are routinely doing. It was really cool to be able to kind of experience that as my first opportunity in the garden, a game like that shot making like that an individual performance like that for Marquise Noel, certainly something that I'll remember for a long time. Yeah. I mean, Marquise Noel was insane. There's a little bit of a dicey moment when he rolls that ankle. And I think if you've been around sports long enough, you've probably rolled your ankle in your life and when that happens, you in the moment, like you're not sure of what just went down. It hurts like heck. You feel like you're not going to be able to walk. Um, and they got him taped up and then he was just fine, got out there. And it was a little wobbly when he first got back out. By, but by the end of the game, you had forgotten about what was going on there. K-State got a lot of stellar performances from guys that just needed to step up. Um, it was something that, that Gabe had alluded to. When we previewed things earlier this week, he just said, K-State's due for a game where everybody shoots at a level where you're just not losing that game. Unfortunately for them, Michigan State had that game as well on Friday, but K or Thursday, but K-State was just uh, ultimately the better team, had the better players that could finish at the end. And uh, Tom Izzo talked about luck, whatever, that's been hashed out and everything. K-State didn't win that game from luck. Were they fortunate and did they have some lucky plays go their way? Yes, they did. But Michigan State, you could also say the same thing. Like, Michigan State was fortunate a couple of times in that game. Um, I mean, I don't know. Desi Sills played like 19 minutes yesterday. So if K-State's third or fourth best player is playing less than half the game, um, you've probably done something wrong defensively than if you're, you're Michigan State to, to not be able to contain K-State a little bit better. So uh, that was a, a phenomenal game last night. Good to have you there. And uh, while you've been in New York City – it's not just been really the the game related basketball stuff. It's been some of the stuff off the floor that 
is equally as important to this K-State basketball team because it's kind of helped craft and mold uh, two of the, the key guys in last night's game. We'll start with the story you did on Marquise Noel and his upbringing in New York and, and what you got to experience going around with Marquise's brother and father uh, on Thursday morning before that Sweet 16 game where you went to all the old courts that he had grown up playing at and, I mean, got a ton of stories in there that people think they know the Marquise Noel story. There are so many different things that popped in there that I had no idea about. Uh, so just kind of share your experience with uh, the Noel family and uh, what you thought of the way that story ended up turning out. Yeah, I think first of all, I just want to publicly thank um, all the access and the honesty that Marquise's brother Marcus and his father Marcus um, gave me. It wasn't awkward at any point. There wasn't like an ice-breaking situation. I met him on a court, um, 145 in Lenox, I think it is. It's right across the bridge. Yankee Stadium is right across the river. Um, and it just kind of started from there. We just kind of talked, kind of laughed, kind of told stories about what they remember from being on that court. And I, one of the first memories I have um, from my time with them, and I kind of threw this in the story, was Marquise's dad um, in the summer. Marquise missed two free throws in an AAU game and um, not cost his team the game, but it certainly didn't help his team uh, win a game that they ended up losing. And it's 102 degrees that day. And Marquise, his brother, and his dad go to this specific court that I'm standing at, and it's 102 degrees in the summer. It's hotter than hell in New York. You know how it goes in New York. You get all of the air kind of trapped in there. You get all the cars, the technology, all that stuff. It just kind of makes it muggy and hot and it's humid with the river and all that different stuff. And he says, like, he made Marquise make 100 free throws and develop a free throw routine. And Marquise is crying. Marquise is like, this I, he didn't want to be there at that point but I think that moment really just kind of really encapsulates everything that was Marquise Noel's upbringing um, playing basketball his dad and his brother were really hard on him they challenged him they pushed him and they really really motivated him I think you could say but he had an intrinsic motivation that I think was really unique and I think we can kind of see that now today and Marcus his brother told a story about how on his birthday and he explained that birthdays are a huge thing to Marquise. And that wasn't something that made it into the story, but that birthdays are a really important thing to Marquise. And he really values his own birthday and really enjoys celebrating his own birthday, but even more so enjoys being able to celebrate other people's birthdays. And Marquise on a recent birthday, um, spent an entire day in the gym on K-State's campus shooting a thousand shots. And his brother was on FaceTime with him the whole time because just to kind of like be there and have someone celebrate his birthday with air quotes around there. Um, I think it just really kind of is an example of the relationship that his family has and the upbringing that he has. And it's not from a great neighborhood in the city. It's not from the safest place in New York. And to be able to have his family kind of take me to those places, to those courts, to those um, important places in Marquise's upbringing is something that I'll always remember. And it's a story that I am incredibly proud to be able to have written. And I try to not be arrogant or cocky about things, but um, this is the best story I've ever written. Um, no, please think- do be arrogant and cocky about it. Cause this one is much, it, you, you deserve it for this one. This one was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, so real it's, quick, I'll throw it out there. If you, if you haven't read it yet, uh, go to email online. It's up there right now. 
And if you're looking at it, you're like, hey, well, why can't I read the whole thing? Well, it's because you're not signed up for email online. So if you go do that right now, you can go to email online and get signed up for just $26 for your first year with promo code EMAELITE8. So you go do that, boom, you're signed up for a year, you're locked in, and you can read every story. Another one that you can read, I mean, you, you did great work in the morning with the Marquise Noel story, and then you turn around and do something that on any other day would have been probably the best story you did in a month or whatever, um, but you, you wrote the story about Ish Masood and him celebrating Ramadan and his Muslim faith which I think is a really interesting thing because obviously people that have been around and engaged with K-State basketball since Jerome Tang got hired are very much aware that like he is a very, very religious man and he's not shy and he, he helps that guide his life. And some people, uh, specifically one person on Twitter, uh, like a couple of weeks ago, I don't know even how we saw it, but uh, was trying to, you know, make this case about how, you know, that, that's probably turning off recruits or all this other stuff. And, um, I, I think the conversation was just kind of like, you know, uh, I don't know that like that's going to matter to Jerome Tang and them. Like they're going to get the guys in here that they want from a basketball standpoint and from like a personality and human standpoint. Um, but I don't think that's going to turn off a lot of guys because it seems like they're pretty accepting of everybody. And you would also be kind of looking past the fact that like there are two Muslims playing on this team for K-State, Ishma Sud and Bebe Ijiola. Well, Yesterday, first day of Ramadan, and you talked to Ish Masood about all that last night. And it was another just fascinating story. And I think not only was it it was it good to prop up Ish and show like another side to this team and, and one of the the interesting wrinkles that they have with you know they're they're not all just like devout like you know Baptists like Jerome Tang like they have their own religious beliefs, but they all work together in a great way. And then I think it also showed like how Jerome Tang. He doesn't care what you believe in. Just fully believe in it and let it help guide your life in a, in a good direction. And that's clearly what it was. Yeah, and I think it was kind of fitting. Um, you know, obviously Marquise has one of the best games in NCAA tournament history. And me being the oddball that I am, I'm like, I don't want to write about that. Like, I want to write about the different story. Well, and considering you just spent like your entire yeah. first half of your day focusing on Marquise. So I decided I wanted to write about Ish. And um, the reason it kind of clicked for me actually was because at the postgame podium, um, he answers his first question and he kind of sidetracks a little bit and he talks about why the day was important with it being the first day of Ramadan and um, the celebrating of his Muslim culture and all those different things. And for a lot of people, I don't feel like people necessarily understand what Ramadan is. And my best friend from home is actually a Muslim. So I've kind of had the privilege of kind of learning some of those values and learning why it's important and learning um, what they value um, in this month. And it kind of gave me an opportunity to kind of share some of those things as well. But I noticed as I was in the locker room that Ish writes words on his shoes and a lot of players do this. This isn't something that's unique or something that is rare of Ish to do. And um, he wrote um, a few different phrases, the word that he wanted the season to be defined by that, the coaching team, the coaching staff had everyone do. Um, he wrote an acronym um, of when, what's it, what's important now. Um, but then on his right shoe, up by the outside of his foot on the toe, um, he wrote an Arabic word, um, inshallah, which essentially kind of means for whatever God has planned and God willing. So essentially, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll be in a way. And I thought it was really cool that Ish played his best game in a K State uniform. 
um, scoring 15 points, going five of eight from the field. Um, I think goes four of seven from three and essentially hits the game winning shot. Um, that baseline jumper out of the out of bounds play that it kind of does this on a day that's really important to him and his faith and his family. And I, I learned throughout the reporting of this, that him and Bebe were, I don't want to say dismissed from the team, but they were led away from the team, led away from the team home hotel, I assume to go to a mosque in New York and begin their prayer. And prayer is very important um, in the Muslim community. Always they pray at least three times a day, I believe, but in Ramadan, it's a couple more times. And they prayed for like two and a half hours on the first night of Ramadan. So Wednesday night heading into Thursday, um, I think baby said from like eight to 10 30 or something like that. And baby fasted. He didn't have any food or drinks it includes water from sun up to sundown. Um, on the day of the game against Michigan state, he was in the locker room afterwards. Nibbling on a green apple, had a power, um, power milkshake, um, protein shake between his legs. Ish, Ish is not fasting right now. He is going to make up his dates. He hopes later in the year. Um, and to, to be able to fast at this time of the year as a college basketball player is, I mean, remarkable. So even if Bebe only played a minute, right? Like to be mm-hmm. able to do that and go through warmups and not be able to have a drink of water. And if you ever watch college basketball warmups, like you notice like those guys get going, like they've yeah. got some, like they're moving a good bit. Like they break a sweat. Um, and now as the calendar has started to kind of shift towards the sun going down later, Bebe couldn't drink a water until, um, I don't know, some 38 o'clock. I don't know exactly mm-hmm. what time the sun went down. Uh, but yeah, to be able to tell that story, I thought was important as well, because like you said, there's been dialogue and discourse amongst K-State Twitter folk that the way that Jerome Tang communicates publicly, whether it's in videos posted on social media or in press settings could potentially turn recruits off. And certainly I understand that perspective, but at the same time, like Tang said afterwards that what kind of person of his own faith would he be if he didn't allow other people to follow their own faith and believe in what they want to believe. And his exact quote was um, my faith teaches me that the people are sorry. My faith teaches me that the people will know that I truly believe um, what I believe if I love everybody. And I think that that perfectly encapsulates um, who Jerome Tang is and his welcomingness to um, Ishmael and Bebe who are certainly in a diverse um, minority group in the United States that is celebrating a very important thing at this time of the year. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, uh, it was just a great story. And another one of those deals where uh, there are a lot of Marquise Noel stories out there right now. Uh, obviously we think that yours is, is the best one that's out there right now. And I would encourage people to go read it. Cause I mean, a lot of people can talk to Marcus. A lot of people can, you know, get some of this other stuff, but like you actually going to these places and getting, all the insight on what they mean and, and how it all, you know, led to what Marquise Noel is now is special. And then uh, I, I really enjoyed the Ish Masood one um, just because I've always been an Ish guy. Like you get a shooter out there, you know, I'm going to be an Ish guy. So I've always, I've always pulled for good things to happen to Ish Masood. And so last night, like while surprising, like it, it wasn't necessarily um, like astonishing to me that he was able to do that. Like he's just playing with a ton of confidence right now. And I think him, I think him last night going out of his way and like, you know, starting the conversation and, and making it to where like people were aware of what was going on for him. Like, 
I think he's gotten to a point now where not only is he confident in his game, we see that the, the shots he took last night and knocking them down, but he sees his coaches and his teammates, they're confident in their faith, and they like to put that out there. And I think that was him real. And he said it in the story, like, you know, he, he just wants to try and be an inspiration to other Muslim athletes. And like that was last night. I think we saw the confidence in him as a person. Like, you know what? Like, this is the right time for me to do this. And like, because that's not an easy thing. Like when no. you're when you're a minority and then also like a like a religious minority or a minority of any group, like that can be a really tough thing to do. And especially so, with a lot of the stereotypes that surround the Muslim community in the United States. And mm-hmm. they're really unfortunate. And it's unfair that those stereotypes have been placed. Yeah, I, I thought like that's just uh, it, number one credit goes to Ish Masood for for how he handled that last night. Um, and I think very good for him to get that out there. And number two, like that's another one of these things. I mean, Jerome Tang gets showered with plenty of praise, but this is another one of those things where like Jerome Tang is not only coaching a basketball team that feels confident, but like he's doing the right thing as a, as a dude that just relates with his team that gets them to the point where they feel like they're confident and stuff outside of basketball and to share that and be open. So uh, very much an impressive thing uh, last night that went down there. Well, and I'll take people behind the curtain of how our job works, right? Like no one wants to read the same story over and over and over again. And I felt like, you know, ish, we've told the ish story of making clutch shots in big mm-hmm. games a couple times this year, particularly the game against Baylor. It's a big shot at the end of the Kentucky game that essentially kind of put a dagger into Kentucky's hearts. And I don't want to tell that story again. You, our readers had read it. Other people had read it. People are aware of that story. So you kind of got to spin it in a different way. And I felt like I was able to accomplish that. And it helps when you've got a great staff like we have where Gabe's picking up the slack on an all-time performance in the NCAA tournament where he writes a great story on Marquise. You're doing some good um, opinionated analysis stuff with Fast Break. Um, Gabe helps me out with player grades last night. And I think the the way that we've kind of started to work together here um, has really kind of started to produce some great content. And that's why it is such a great time to subscribe to the loud site, especially when you can get um, your first year for just $26, like you said. Yep. Uh, get signed up for it because also what will be coming later today will be the preview and picks for the elite eight game between K state and Florida Atlantic. I uh, got five field favorites still on the way. And then all the reaction from tomorrow night's game. So a lot coming your way, a lot to get caught up with. Uh, let's dive in quickly into Florida Atlantic. It, it, they're a very interesting team to break down. Number one, because I mean, they're a conference USA team. So there's already less exposure to them than anybody else K-State has really faced this year. And they're different than Montana State because Montana State is one of those mid-majors that you go, okay, conference champ from a one-bid league. They have one guy that is the real deal in Raekwon Battle. And that's really what you got to focus on. Like, whatever, you're fine. Florida Atlantic, much different. They lead the NCAA in wins this year. They are spread out. They got three guys that average in double figures. They have seven different guys on their roster that are going to attempt two or more threes a game. They do pretty much everything well. There's not really anything that you look at them and say they do poorly. But on the flip side, they don't do anything that's just outrageously good. So they're they're fascinating to, to try and figure out and see what they do. Um, the number one thing, though, I, I think to note, because Michigan State, that was very successful with it on Thursday night. Florida Atlantic will shoot it from three. Um, they're in the top 10 in the country in terms of three-point shots, making up their total attempts from the field. And they're shooting 37% from three. And uh, so those, that's the thing that most concerns me about them. They're very guard-heavy. 
They're only going to play two players taller than 6'8 in the game, a seven foot one guy and a six eight guy. And then um, one positive is the fact that they don't really turn the they don't turn teams over that they face. They're middle of the pack, 180 out of uh, 363 college basketball teams. And in the NCAA tournament, they've only forced 25 turnovers, 11 of which came in their game um, against Fairleigh Dickinson. So that's kind of the general synopsis of Florida Atlantic. Um, you were there last night, but there was so much going on. So I don't I don't imagine or expect you to have gotten to see much of the Tennessee Florida Atlantic game. So just kind of in the, uh, the general knowledge you've picked up on over the last couple of hours, uh, what do you make of Florida Atlantic being the matchup for K-State tomorrow night? Yeah, I certainly don't know much yet. I hope to be able to talk to some people about Florida Atlantic later this evening. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like you said, just kind of looking at their Ken Palm and their Bartorvik numbers. They're not a team that's overly elite at anything by any stretch of the imagination. Um, except their defensive effective field goal percentage is really good. Um, ranks top 15, I think, in the country by both Ken Palm and Torvik. And it's a group that has won 34 games, which I don't care what league you play in. I don't care who your competition is. If you're winning 34 games, that's damn impressive mm-hmm. um, in college basketball. And I think what makes it even more impressive, Mason, is if you look at their roster and who plays a significant minute distribution, Jonal Davis, sophomore, Elijah Martin, sophomore, um, the big man, um, he's Russian, Vladislav, I think is how you say mm-hmm. say his first name, um, Golden, sophomore, um, Michael Forrest, he comes off their bench, he's a senior, um, Brian Greenlee, he's a junior, um, they have a really young group of guys, Nick Boyd is a freshman, and um, Giancarlo Rosado is also a sophomore. So the group that Dusty May has is really young. So to be able to accomplish all this with a really young group, I think is really impressive, especially when it's a group of guys who aren't NBA prospects. Like this isn't like you've got a bunch of four and five stars playing at Florida Atlantic that are going to go be in the NBA. Like a lot of these kids are probably going to be back assuming they don't enter the transfer portal. And I think that says a lot about the coaching job that Dusty May has been able to accomplish there at Florida Atlantic. And when you look at like their Ken Palm numbers, they're all pretty good. Like there's a lot of green across their entire Ken Palm page um, and across their Torvik page. And that says a lot about the way that the team plays. It says a lot about um, the effectiveness and the style of play that they have. They're not a team that's going to run a ton. They're 158th in tempo. They're average offensive possession length is 92nd in the country at about 17 seconds a game or 17 seconds of possession. Um, you put all these things together and I think it's going to be another really, really good game. And I know Kansas state fans or K state fans are probably looking at this like deja vu, maybe a little bit where the last two times they've made it to mm-hmm. lead, they've played against uh, mid-major opponents in Butler and Loyola Chicago, and they've lost uh, now, I think context is important there in both of those losses. The Butler team was a sixth seed, I think, and they were ranked in the top 15 in the preseason and had Brad Stevens and Gordon Hayward and the Loyola game. Obviously, Dean Wade wasn't playing. So those things are important to kind of consider as to why K-State may have fallen there. But it's it's rare that a team makes it to the Elite Eight and isn't a very good team. Like last year, St. Peter's made it, but they were kind of in the 200s, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. at Penn Palm. This Florida Atlantic team is really good. Like they're 17th in Ken Palm, which is higher than where K State yeah. ranked. Yeah, no, uh, this team is. I mean, they're they're the real deal. They are here for a reason, 
And yeah, uh, there there is the the bad taste. K State's last two Elite Eight trips, they've lost to to mid major teams. Um, but like you said, context is important in those games. And like that 2010 team was really good for K State, but also the other part of the context, like they're coming off a double overtime win against Xavier. It was the last game of the night in Salt Lake City, so like there's so much going on there. And then yeah, you're playing Gordon Hayward, future NBA player. Uh, let's see, Shelvin Mack was on that team, also a future NBA player. Matt Howard was a thought of going into that season as their best player, even though he wasn't like an NBA guy. Like they had plenty of things going on that, and, and Butler, I mean, you said top 15. I think when we looked the other day, they were top 10 preseason, which I had no idea. I, I totally did not realize that. Um, and so, again, yeah, it that, doesn't matter. Like preseason rankings don't matter. But no, they don't. It's, but it's, it's an expectation of what a team is going to be. Yeah. And then obviously what they turned into was a team that went to back-to-back national championship games. So you have that. The Loyola-Chicago thing is a bit of a mess. That's the one that, that probably stings the most just because you should beat a Missouri Valley team that's like an 11 seed in the Elite Eight. You just should. Um, so for K-State, it's been since 1964 that they've been to the Final Four. Their last Elite Eight win was against Wichita State in 64. 9-46 final score. Shout out to uh, the, the 1964 Cats for taking down the Shockers. They did everybody a favor uh, by doing that. But since then, K-State has lost their Elite Eight games in 72, 73, 75, 81, 88, 2010, and 2018. Um, so this is a chance to right the ship. Like This is a, this is a program – that has all these elite eight appearances, all these other accolades, all these great players. Like K-State is just up there with a lot of other people in the realm of college basketball. A team like this should not have to go this long in between final four appearances. And I mean, we pinpointed it early in the season and somebody said it uh, last night or today when I was listening to like some, some after show stuff um, from various people, but like, K-State has the two best players on the floor um, in this upcoming game against Florida Atlantic. There's no doubt about that with Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson. And they had the best players on the floor against Kentucky. They did it against Michigan State. Now, both sides had guys that like were, were pretty equal with them, but they didn't have a duo that could match the level of Johnson and Noel. And, and K-State just needs that one more time before they can get a little rest out of them and, and get to uh, possibly Houston with a win over Florida Atlantic. So, I think K State does it. This team seems very locked in. I mean, we talked about uh, in the you know the, the pod beforehand. Like there could be all these distractions going on with the team going back to New York. You got four guys that are from there, excited to get back. All that, and they stepped up and they took down Michigan State. They they battled through everything. They were up for the challenge. And this is a team that like all season long has been told like, well, you're not going to do this. And it's a team that's made up of a bunch of guys that were told their entire lives, well, you're not going to do this. And so I think all of that just keeps them very hungry to keep moving forward. And I don't think that this is a team that gets satisfied with what they've done. And that's ultimately what you have to have. Whoever wins an Elite Eight game, to me, unless it's just this matchup of two totally um, opposite teams, I think it comes down to who is the most locked in and who is the, the, the team that's not going to slip mentally. And as long as K-State doesn't do that, they, they should be able to win this basketball game on Saturday against Florida Atlantic. Yeah, and I think at, at some point, if you're a K-State fan, there are concerns of maybe a regression coming from Marquis Noel. If you think back to the way he played in the first three or four Big 12 games, particularly the games at Texas and at Baylor, 
kind of regressed a little bit after the win over Oklahoma State before going to TCU, um, where I think he had five or six turnovers in that game. And it's just really hard to play at the level that he's played at now for three games in a row. Like he's averaging, I think, 21 points and like 14 assists in the NCAA tournament, which is ungodly. Uh, So I'm interested to see if his level of play continues to maintain at this high level. Um, because I certainly think it's going to be hard for Kansas State to bank on getting 15 points from Mitch Masood, to be able to bank on getting 12 points or whatever it was that Cam Carter gave them against Michigan State. I will say, like, Naquan Tomlin's gone three straight games with double figures, and he's done a really good job of avoiding foul trouble in the NCAA tournament. And I think that that's been a big key for K-State, having a little bit more success here. Um, and then, obviously, Keontae Johnson had a pretty good game against Michigan State as well. So I, it'll be interesting to me. I think to see if guys are able to kind of stack um, quality performances here against Florida Atlantic, because they've been playing at a high level and it's really hard to play at an elite level like that for so many games in a row, but it's impossible to pick against K-State when Marquise Noel is playing the way that he's playing, because I think I said in our group chat last night, like, is he the best player left in the NCAA tournament? And you can, you can make a legitimate case. Is, is he the most talented? Absolutely not. No, mm-hmm. like that, that's Brandon Miller. Um, at Alabama, whatever you think of him as a person on and off the court, that's whatever. It's besides the point. He's an incredible basketball talent. He's potentially going to be the number two pick in the draft. But he might be the best college player left. And now that's a lie, too, because Drew Timmy's still playing. But you get the point. Like, he, he's up there. He's up yeah. in the discussion with the way he's played this year, third-team All-American, what he's doing in the NCAA tournament. Like, he's going to be in the discussion for most outstanding player of the entire tournament if K-State makes it to the Final Four. And – yep. Who would have thought that would happen entering the season? Yep. No, it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to to follow along and see what ends up happening. Uh, I I think that it's helped K State that they had to play Kentucky and get ready for Oscar Shibway. I think it helped a guy like David Gasson elevate the level of of mentality he that well he has. Week, yeah. Like he's just he's playing tougher and and stronger and just everything he has done has been really good for the last two games for K State and I. I don't expect him to score in double figures every game, but the fact that he was able to catch the ball, put it in the hole when he needed to last night and was good defensively and all this, I think is good. I think Naquan Tomlin, I think he's, he's getting to the point now where like, it's all starting to fall into place. He's played a full season now of college basketball, organized basketball. Like I know that he, you know, he, he played, uh, junior college basketball. I would not call junior college basketball, organized basketball. That is, run down the floor, get a shot off from three in the first 10 seconds or dunk it. Um, So I think he's gotten smarter. He rebounded the ball well last night. Him having seven boards is a big deal for K-State. So I think all that's real. And you get a couple of shots to fall from Masood and Carter, you're definitely golden. I'm not banking on that happening uh, every game. The other thing is K-State's going to have Desi Sills on the floor for the majority of the game, hopefully this time. He won't be in foul trouble. And K-State, I think that there is a realm where they are going to be able to penetrate and get scores against Florida Atlantic. Really what ended up hurting Tennessee in that game on Thursday was in the second half, they just they weren't they didn't have reliable enough guards with Ziegler being out and then having to rely on um, like bigger guys for for the most of your production after Ziegler this year. Like they just didn't have guards that could make plays for them, get into the lane, try and create. We know that Noel can do that. We know that that's what Desi Sills is best at offensively. Um, so there are a lot of reasons to be positive about this game if you're a K-State fan. But you also have to keep in mind, like this Florida Atlantic team 
is legit. They are the real deal. And uh, it's going to be a battle just like the three games before, before it were. So that will, uh, will, that will do everything for our preview of Florida Atlantic. The full pick and preview story will be up from Alec uh, sometime Friday night, early Saturday morning. So be on the lookout for that. I uh, appreciate Alec spending 30 to 35 minutes of his day uh, where he's been incredibly busy in New York to hop on, do this, preview the owls and everything else that's going on out there. So he's getting ready to head back off to Madison Square Garden where K-State and Florida Atlantic will meet with the media this afternoon. And uh, we'll have those videos up on EMA online as well later today. So uh, be sure to stay tuned. If you're not signed up, go do it right now at kansasstate.rivals.com. Use code EMA Elite 8 for your first year at $26. And then while you're doing that, you might as well go to the YouTube and hit subscribe and also go to the podcast feed either on Spotify or Apple to make sure that you get every single podcast delivered straight to you. And then we will be back with another live show tomorrow night after the game, K-State win or lose against Florida Atlantic uh, to break down the Elite Eight matchup between the Cats and the Owls. So that will do it for Alec and I. We are out. We'll talk to you tomorrow.